Good morning, pastors and ministry leaders. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. My name is Shegun Ayegusi, and I am a pastor and founder and director of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos in Plateau State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. The Nigerian Pastors Podcast is the audio ministry of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network, and we aim to achieve two goals through this podcast. One, we want to minister to the pastor's heart and stir up in you a greater love for Jesus Christ. The fact is, when a pastor is in awe and in love with Jesus Christ, it will result in emotionally and spiritually healthy ministry leaders who lead thriving churches. And our second goal through this podcast is to equip you with practical biblical teaching for ministry so that you can grow in your knowledge of God's Word and become more effective in preaching and teaching through the Bible. It is our ongoing prayer that the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes both of these goals in your life as you listen along. Welcome again, and thank you for listening. So in today's episode, we are going to discuss how to handle conflicts, how to deal with fights that break out in church, right? Uh, If you have been a pastor or a ministry leader longer than one week, then you know that conflict resolution is just one of those inevitable ministry skills that you need to develop because conflicts are inevitable even among Christians. So in today's podcast, we are going to look at how Jesus, along with the Apostle Paul, instructs us on how to handle fights that happen in church. In fact, we're gonna talk practically about what to do when when the people involved in the conflict are some of your key leaders, or if it's you yourself, and how to handle church discipline. You know, one of the more uh, devastating experiences that I think puts a mark or, or marks a stain on the gospel is when churches get into fights and it results in a church split because of irreconcilable differences. I mean, it's just really saddening. And you know, I've experienced some of these bizarre moments before. Um, In fact, when I was a young Christian, I once witnessed a fight break out between a pastor, some elders and congregants in the middle of a church service. Now, I'm not gonna tell you the name of the church or the name of the pastor, because God knows they've already caused enough embarrassment to the kingdom of God on their own, but this was a church that I grew up in, and, and prior to that Sunday when the fight broke out, I'd actually heard rumors that conflict was starting to brew between some members and and the leadership team. Now, I was a young Christian, and so I just assumed that these people who were going to get in a fight were going to resolve their issues like adults in a private office. But that was never to be the case, and it all erupted into a free-for-all battle in the middle of a worship service on Sunday. The odd thing is, the fight actually started right in the middle of the pastor praying. Now, I have been a Christian long enough and I've served in ministry long enough to know that church fights like the ones I just described and that you've probably experienced are not only common, but what I've observed is that church fights have evolved in that it's no longer just about fist fighting, right? We still do that, but what I've noticed is that church fights have evolved into what I call heart 
murder, H-E-A-R-T, heart, murder, based on Matthew 5, 21 to 22. And what I mean by that is that we're no longer punching each other in church, but rather what we're doing is we are verbally hating on each other. We're publicly insulting one another. We are rumor mongering in the church. We're backstabbing. There's politicking going on in church and we're slandering each other on the internet. And as sad as that is, the fact is, it's actually been happening not only recently, but it, 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 the church Christians have been undermining and tearing at each other since the beginning of the church. In fact, the entire book of First Corinthians was written because the church resembled more of a wrestling match than it did a worship service. And so we want to let, let's talk about that today for pastors, right? Like, how do we as pastors and ministry leaders, how do we lead our congregations through those seasons of conflict? Like, how should you react when a trusted church member has offended you or they've offended one another or, or when you suspect that one of your elders or one of your church members is wounded by something you've said? Or, or how do you help your congregation work through a misunderstanding that they misunderstood something that you said, right? So that's what we're going to talk about in today's podcast. Now, depending on your personality type, you may react in one of three ways to conflict. Um, if you go to our website, our, our podcast page website, today's episode page, um, on there, there is a chart called the Peacemaking um, slippery slope chart and and you'll see it has information on it and basically that chart is there to help you see how it is that you specifically respond to conflict now if you don't have access to a website let me describe what this chart is to you i want you to picture a circle in your mind's eye right so picture a circle now i want you to cut that circle in half from left to right now look at the top half of the circle you have a semicircle now right well in that semicircle imagine it has three 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 parts there's three parts of this uh, semicircle. There's the left part, there's a right part, and there's a middle part. Well, on the far left section of this semicircle is what I would describe as people who have escape responses, like your tendency to conflict is to try and get away from it, right? And so this is for people who don't, they don't like conflict, they don't like confrontation. And so your response to conflict may range anywhere from denying that there's a real conflict to avoidance or to running away from conflict because you just didn't want anything to do with it. And in the most extreme cases, for those of you who are escape responses, um, would be suicide. In other words, the most extreme side of this is that you hate conflict so much and you would rather not deal with conflict that you'd rather die. So that's the left side. Now on the far right section of the semicircle is what I would describe as attack responses. And this describes people who are always ready for a fight, right? Um, you, they may sometimes even be looking for a fight. And, you're, and these kinds of people, their response to conflict or confrontation may range anywhere from arguing, because they like to argue, to, to physical assault, or to bringing a lawsuit to involving the law. And in most extreme cases, for those who have an attack response, um, is murder, right? They might actually hurt someone. Now, that's the left, that's the right. Now, in the middle section of this piece of this semicircle is what I would describe as those people who have what's known as a peacemaking responses. And this is for people who have developed a healthy way to respond to conflict or confrontation. And your response may range anywhere from simply overlooking a sin to negotiation or reconciliation to accountability. So this is a healthy place to be. So my question to you is this, where do you land? 
How do you tend to respond conflict? Do you tend to have an escape response to conflict? Or do you naturally have an attack response to conflict? Or are you somewhere in that middle of peacemaking responses? Think about your life. Think about over the last few months, over the last few years at the conflicts and confrontations you've had. How have you consistently responded? Well, biblically speaking, for Christians, the place you want to land is somewhere in the middle range of peacemaking responses. In fact, it's the picture that Jesus paints for us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. And this passage in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, is filled with very practical advice on what to do when we are offended and it is well within our right to seek out revenge. And uh, later on in our conversation, we'll cover what to do when we are the ones who've offended others. So let's get there. Matthew 18, verse 15, here's what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. But if he will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. So I, I love this passage because really it captures for us how to end a fight before it even starts. And what I want you to notice about Jesus' step-by-step instruction here is that when it comes to addressing a conflict with other believers in your church or other Christians, the end goal of a conflict resolution isn't simply a confrontation to point out sin, nor is it even to point out their sin. Rather, the end goal of Jesus' instruction is restoration and repentance. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus explains that part of how you and I will win people to faith in Christ, how we will win people who are far from God to faith, will be through how we treat each other, right? He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, so the gospel is at stake when you and I as Christians are fighting. So for this reason, before we even jump into the steps on how to resolve a conflict, I should point out that there are certain times when God might call you to simply overlook an offense. The reality is that there are certain quarrels and arguments that are not even worth getting into, either because they are minor and inconsequential, or, or we just need to be more patient and forgiving with the other party. However, if the offense cannot be overlooked because it's giving you restless nights or, or it's already begun to spread through the church like a bad infection, or every time you see that person, you just want to punch their face, then you need to do these next things, right? So let's go step by step for how we help our churches, our congregations resolve conflict. So step number one, when there's a conflict, we want to counsel them to go directly to the person who's offended. When something a church member has said or done wounds you or you see it between two believers, Jesus says the offended person is to take the initiative and go to the person who offended them and begin the reconciliation process. Did you get that? In Matthew 5.23, Jesus, in fact, Jesus throws a little twist in it into the mix in Matthew 5.23. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, right? So you're in the middle of a worship service and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. 
Now, I, I will admit this does sound a little infuriating, like a little annoying, right? Because part of me thinks, why am I the one responsible for somebody else's sin? Like if they have an issue with me, then they need to grow up and come talk to me about it. But the Bible reiterates the point in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it's within your means, live at peace with everyone. Initiate reconciliation at all costs. The point is this. It is always dependent on you, the more mature believer, to take the initiative in the restoration of a broken relationship. So how do you do that? Well, like I said, you you go directly one-on-one, -on -one, you go privately, and you go repeatedly. Going directly and privately means that you go speak with the person who offended you face-to-face -face, or the person that you know has an offense against you. You go speak to them face-to-face -face and one-on-one, -on -one, right? Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, go show him his fault just between the two of you. And if the offense is between several people, then all of those people directly involved should come together face to face. Now, I must caution you. Do not try to resolve a conflict over email. Do not try to resolve a conflict over text message. Do not try to resolve a conflict over WhatsApp because things get lost in translation and somebody might misunderstood something you typed when you meant it one way, but they read it another way. So do it directly, do it privately, but also do it within a reasonable time period from the offense. Like there's no, you know, there's no hard and fast rule about how soon you should go initiate, res uh, 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 um, you should go show someone their fault when they offend you. But the reality is this, the longer you wait to address the issue, the longer it is or the further it is from the initial offense, the cloudier the details become. People start forgetting things. They start adding to the story. You know, in counseling, I often advise people to wait no longer than 72 hours before addressing an issue. That's three days, right? And that's pushing it. Within that period, try to reconcile the relationship any longer than that and people start adding stuff to the conflict or forget the details. The other implication of Jesus' instruction about res conflict resolution is that um, not only should you go privately, but you should go repeatedly. What often happens is if someone offends us and we go deal, we go once and, and if nothing happens, we say to ourselves, well, I tried, there's no point trying to solve it. Well, in Matthew 18, Jesus has in mind more than one conversation. The Greek word or the Greek verb used for the word go in verse 15 implies a continual action. Meaning, if your relationship is not restored after your first meeting or if it turns out worse than it expected, don't give up on the relationship. Like, try to discern what went wrong where, pray for God to reveal any missing pieces, and if you're stuck, then seek counsel from a more mature believer who's not directly connected to the situation, but, but most importantly, try again. So, go privately, go repeatedly, go peaceably, right? And it's been my experience that when Christians prayerfully follow this first step, the other person often responds with respect and appreciation and the conflict is often resolved. But if step one does not solve the issue, then we move on to step two in Jesus's instruction in Matthew 18. And step two says, involve others, right? So you go, step one is go directly. Step two is involve other people. Um, it, you know, it's at this stage that Matthew, that Jesus says in Matthew 18, but if the person will not listen to you, um, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
So the goal here in the second step is to involve other people, two at the most, whom you both respect, who, who will help both of you see the conflict from a different perspective. And to be clear, involving others is not an instruction to gather your gang to help you make your case. The people you involved at this stage should be godly people that you and the person who's been offended or who you offended or who offended you um, have mutual respect for. This person or people should have demonstrated in their life emotional and spiritual maturity that tells you that they're able to help you mitigate this conflict. This may be leaders in your church, elderly men or women that you both know and respect, or a mutually godly friend, or I'm sorry, a mutual godly friend that you both admire. And the role of this outside person is not to come in and assign blame to any one person, but rather the goal of this third or fourth party is to listen objectively to the conflict and to discern with wisdom where the heart issues lie and to help both of you reach some sort of mutual agreement that you will both agree to honor. Now, so that's the second step. Involve one or two people who help you work through step one, right? Now, I have been a Christian a good portion of my life, and I know church people pretty well, and so I know that many times our conflict doesn't end in step one, it doesn't end in step two, and it's the reason that Jesus gives us step three, and this is where the process of church discipline may begin to happen. And step three is, if the conflict has not been resolved, report it to the church leadership. Remember, we're talking about conflict between Christians in church. Step three is to report it to the church leadership. Now, I'm gonna address this from two perspectives. The first step is when you as a pastor are trying to resolve a conflict between two fighting groups in your church. The second perspective will be when you as a pastor are the one involved in a conflict or, or one of your elders is involved in a conflict with your congregation. So um, when the conflict is between your congregation members and it has reached your desk, your first task is to redirect them to steps one and two. Ask them, have they gone one-on-one? -on -one? Have they gone privately to try to resolve the issue? Have they gone repeatedly? Have they considered just letting it go? If none of that has happened, then ask about step two. Have you involved one or two people that both of you, you the person, those of you who are fighting that you both respect, have you involved them? What kind of wisdom, what kind of counsel did they give? Make sure, don't just jump in as a pastor to try and resolve those conflicts for them. Ensure they followed step one and two. Now, if they have followed steps one and two and there's no change in their behavior and they come to you, your first step as a pastor is to extend a ton of patience, a ton of grace, hear them out, give them godly counsel. In fact, at the end of this podcast, I'm gonna give you some very practical things that you can use in your counseling session with people who are fighting in your church. But let's assume for a second that this conflict has reached your desk and either one or both people involved or all the people involved in the conflict are unwilling to change and you've discern as a pastor that this conflict is going to create a problem for the church and they are unwilling to repent from their sin here's what jesus says to do in verse 17. he says if this person refuses tell to change tell it to the church and he refuses to listen even to the church treat him as you would a pagan or tax collectors now <laughs> let's talk about how to treat pagans and tax collectors because there is some irony in jesus's instruction considering the fact that jesus was actually nice to pagans and tax collectors in his day in fact he was gracious to them if you remember one of the main arguments that the religious leaders had against jesus was that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners because he ate with them so there are two things going on with this instruction that jesus 
gives, especially when you combine it with what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is making the point that when it comes to church discipline, our goal in church discipline is not punishment, but rather it's restoration and repentance. In fact, scripture says that, you know, Paul explains um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, when he's dealing with an unrepentant member in the church in Corinth, Paul says, then you must throw this man out of the church and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day that the Lord returns. And so what Paul is saying is that Paul isn't saying that you know, kick this guy out of the church so Satan can punish him. But rather, Paul is saying that by casting this person out of the church, they're going to realize that their behavior has been destructive. They will get humbled by it. They will feel the weight of their sin. They'll rethink their situation and repent of their behavior. And so treating them like a pagan or a tax collectors means that you may, when, when there's a person in your church who's unwilling to repent of a sin and is creating conflict in the church and, it can't, and doesn't want to change, you may need to ask them to actually stop attending church for a while until they are willing to address the issue because their sin is kind of like yeast, right? If you think about how yeast impact bread, only a little bit of yeast will spread through a large dough of bread. And Paul is saying, if you let an unrepentant person in your church, Church, who's creating conflict remain in the church their sin will begin to impact the whole church and so you want to cast them you want to keep them from being a part of the church however this is important even when we cast we we excommunicate people right that means put them out of the church it means that yes they can't attend church services but because we're treating them like pagans and tax collectors the way Jesus did, we want to maintain some kind of contact with them, right? So part of that may be you have some elders reach out to them on a regular basis to see how are you doing, okay? Have you thought through this issue we talked about? You don't want to completely cut them off, but you want them to realize the weight of it. And part of that is even while you've put them out, you want to maintain some kind of contact, whether it's you, the pastor yourself, who are reaching out to them, or it's a congregation member. So that's the first part of step three when it comes to church discipline. The second perspective of step three is when you as the pastor or one of your elders are, in, are the very ones involved in a conflict with your congregation member. Now, if the issue is a conflict between an elder and a member or another elder, you as a pastor should once again direct them to steps one and two. However, if that doesn't work, if someone reports to you in a sin in the life of one of your leaders, elders, pastors, your first step actually is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, where it says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So here's what the passage is saying. When an accusation against the leadership of the church comes up, um, Unless there are multiple people bringing it up, I highly recommend that you investigate. In other words, it should be taken seriously when there is sufficient evidence, at least two or three witnesses. If one person comes to an accuse an elder, sit with them, talk with them directly, get more information, get with the elder. But before it gets to discipline and confrontation, you want to check to make sure that there is at least two or three witnesses. And when that sin has been investigated and verified, it becomes your responsibility as a pastor, along with the rest of the elders, to rebuke and deal with the issue publicly in the presence of the rest of the congregation. I know that sounds a little controversial because we're thinking, well, if it's an issue, let's deal with it privately. But because of the nature of an elder, because you're in public eye, 
it should be dealt with publicly. Like even if the elder or leader confesses their sin, scripture's instruction is that his actions and confessions should be made public as graciously as possible so that the congregation can see that honoring Jesus Christ is a priority for its leadership. Now, let me, let me tell you why that's important because I know some people might react negatively and say, well, why do we have to make it public? Well, listen, if you try to cover up a sin that an elder is having with a congregation member or a conflict issue and it comes out later, which it almost always does, then the entire leadership team will lose integrity before the whole church because it'll appear as if you were covering your sin. That's why 1 Timothy 5.19 says that this issue who are sinning, if there's an elder sinning, if the issue has been investigated and it turns out the elder is guilty of a sin, you're to reprove this elder before everyone. Now, of course, if the elder persists in their line of sin or conflict, then there's no question that there must be discipline. They must be removed from that situation and basically experience what we just discussed, which is put them out of the church. So that's how to deal with conflicts with our church or with our leadership team. The last part of this question I want to discuss is, well, what if you as the senior pastor, as the lead pastor, as the top guy or the top girl are the one at fault? Well, in this case, the responsibility actually falls on the rest of the elders to actually do everything we just discussed, right? There's God did not call any one man to lead his old church. It's led by a group of men called elders. And so that's who forms the leadership of the church. But allow me to speak to you from one pastor to another. If you as the main pastor, as the lead of your church, are the one whose sin is creating a problem for your church, my counsel to you is to humbly remember that everything you have, including this church you're pastoring that you're in charge of, has been entrusted to you by God. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 is a direct instruction to you. It says there, to the elders among you, and by the way, in the scripture, whenever the Bible, the New Testament refers to elders, it's the same title for pastors, bishops. So this is you, right? If you're in leadership, this is you. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 to 4, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Jesus' sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing this honest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So pastors, did you hear that? The chief shepherd, Jesus himself, will appear soon in our future and will call you to give an account for how you shepherded the flock that was entrusted to your care. Remember also the warning in James chapter 3, verse 1 that says, Not many of you should become teachers and leaders, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You see, the standard by which Christ will use to evaluate our actions as pastors and leaders will be much stricter than the standard he will use for every Christians. And so this is not intended to scare you, but rather to motivate you in your faithfulness in caring for the church of Christ so that on the day when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and your actions are put through the fire, you can hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Brothers, sisters, and ministries, please let's faithfully lead and care for God's flock 
with all the diligence of a good shepherd so you can rejoice on the day the chief shepherd returns. Conflicts are inevitable in church. Christ himself has given us the tools for which to help our churches work through those difficult seasons. May God bless you as you help your churches learn to live at peace with one another. Thanks again for listening to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. For more information about our ministry, uh, you could visit our website, www.thegatheringfaithleadership.network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos, Plateau State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. If you enjoyed this week's podcast and were blessed by it, there are one of two ways you can be a blessing to us in return. One, you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us and leave an encouraging review and give us some great stars uh, telling us how much you enjoyed our podcast. That would mean a lot to us. And then two, you can actually visit the episode page of this week's podcast and share it on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, wherever, and let your friends know about us. We truly appreciate you and hope you were blessed by this. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you up with you next week. Stay close to Christ.